Welcome to the Waypoint Church, What's the Point podcast. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here, and this is our podcast where we talk about just things going on in the life and body of our church and our community, and just how we can build the kingdom of God and be the kingdom of God in the community where God has called us. And I am joined today by a special guest and one of our other pastors. So Pastor Eric here. Yeah, filling in for Pastor Lawrence, uh, last minute sub. Well, no, but actually, this isn't a sub. This is like another starter just coming off the bench. And we have Dr. Kenan Peniskovic, uh, a friend of mine from Auburn. We were fraternity brothers together many years ago, and now he is uh, a doctor at UNC. And he's going to share a little bit about his experience. And today we're going to talk about mental health and our current reality. There's just a lot of a lot of struggles right now that people are having, and and we're so grateful to have Dr. Peniskovic here, and um, just want to hear a little more about what he's been seeing as a psychiatrist, and and just hear a little more about how we as Christians can think through this and and really live out our faith and love and care for a hurting world. So, uh, Dr. Peniskovic, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. And Danny and I go way back, so he's going to start referring to me hopefully as Kenan because uh, we've known each other for so long. So um, first, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's a real honor. Um, I you know, work at UNC. I'm not representing UNC in any way uh, right now. These are my personal opinions, but um, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I uh, um, just a little bit about me. I was born in Albany, New York, but moved to Auburn, Alabama at a very young age. My dad was a university professor, and my mom was a nurse. Um, I'm the middle child. Uh, both my parents um, were, you know, practicing Christians, very involved in the church. Um, I'm, you know, fortunate to have supportive parents that, you know, um, really helped me along spiritually and. Um, you know, they got me involved in church and then, you know, that kind of carried on. But then really when I got to uh, college, I had to make a lot of choices for myself. And it was the first time that I started questioning my faith. And, um, you know, that was a different experience. Okay. And how about your wife and kids here and in, in you live in Chapel Hill, correct? Sure. I live in Chapel Hill. Um, you know, I, you know, going to, you know, college, uh, was a, like I said, a learning experience for me. And I, I was just blessed to have met uh, a great group of guys that were under uh, a leadership of actually your pastor, Danny, um, who really was a charismatic guy that everybody's was friends with. Um, and, you know, really influenced me in the right way and, and kept me involved, um, whether it be Campus Crusade for Christ or, you know, spiritual groups. And, you know, that led me to, you know, keep close you know, to, to the church and, you know, I'm Catholic and, and my wife, actually, I met her at church and, um, you know, so my wife, Bridget, um, you know, met her in college. We dated through, um, you know, my turn, at least through the beginning of medical school. And then we got married at the end of medical school and we, you know, blessed to live in Chapel Hill and have, uh, um, six lovely kids, um, that, uh, we're trying to just, you know, raise in, in our faith and, and, you know, keep, you know, Christ as the center. You know, Dr. Peniskovic, one, one question that I have that I think would be um, especially relevant for, for our church body is, you know, you, you had a, have a unique experience with, with Pastor Danny. I was, I was wondering what, uh, what he was like in college. Maybe, maybe you could share a, just a funny memory or, or experience that comes to mind. You know, I, I think what you see is what you get with Danny and he, you know, was a guy that had a great sense of humor. He loved college sports and that's, that's one of the ways that we connected. 
Um, you know, I, I just, you know, remember him being a guy that everybody aspired to and everybody, you know, wanted to, you know, hang tight with, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, uh, um, you know, we, we shared the football field a few times and, uh, you know, Danny, Danny, you know, always talked about being the next Dan Marino. Um, and you know, he, he loved his dolphins and loved Auburn. Uh, you know, I'll say that, you know, he was a good football player and, and he was like me, no Dan Marino. <laughs> five, yeah. Five, seven and a half doesn't quite cut it. But we did have some good good times. Kennan actually was the point guard of the fraternity championship team that uh, that I coached. I had Kennan was actually the coach. I just kind of organized the subs. But yeah, we we had some good times. Thank you for your kind words, Kennan. Uh, yeah, it's it's just great to see how God brings people back in your life. And you're actually the advisor for a Waypoint, one of our Waypoint members, correct? She's a medical student, Annie Ojo. Yeah. Yeah. Annie, Annie is actually how we reconnected because she was talking, you know, about her pastor and about how, how I might know, know him and that we might know each other. And it, it was great to hear that. I mean, Annie's such a, um, you know, inspiration for all of us, um, you know, and so we're, we're, we're blessed to know each other and have that mutual connection. Um, but yeah, like I said, feel free to call me Ken and you don't have to give me the Dr. Peniscovic either of you guys. I think, you know, um, I'm very comfortable with you both. Well, thank you. Um, I have one final question, just kind of getting to know you. So how did you end up working in the field of psychiatry? And even how did your Christian faith and your, your call is just all of us are called to be part, be ambassadors for Christ and build his kingdom wherever he calls us. So how did you end up in in this field? You know, it's a great question, um, Danny. So you know, for me, I never knew what a psychiatrist was, had very little knowledge of mental health or, you know, um, what went into it. Uh, it wasn't until medical school, um, you know, in, in, in my, you know, early years and our preclinical years, we had a course called Human Behavior. And I thought it was interesting and found the stories fascinating, uh, especially the patient interviews. But it wasn't until I actually, you know, started working with, you know, the patients uh, on a floor that I actually got interested in it. And, and, and really I would say that my, my spiritual life played a huge role in that because um, you know, you know, I felt called to help others and, and I thought there was no greater gift than, than helping those that were, you know, the poor and downtrodden outcast of society. And, and, you know, for the population that I deal with, which is, you know, a lot of, you know, serious mental illness, I'm talking schizophrenia, um, you know, uh, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, severe depression, like these people were, you know, often homeless or, you know, involved in substances. And, 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 you know, if they were fortunate, their families were with them still, but often it wasn't. And, and so I felt like, you know, my faith led me to kind of reach out to, you know, those that were kind of neglected by, you know, mainstream society. Wow. Praise God that you're there. And I, I pray that God would raise up many, many others like you who, you know, this is part of us loving the world and remembering that people are made in the image of God and we are called to love them and, and to be Christ-like in, in all facets of society. So thank you for what you do and how you even, you're a trainer also, correct? You're a professor and you, you help develop medical students and point them to different fields and including psychiatry. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, one of the school of medicine, they have a, 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 a tremendous program, something that I, you know, the way I was interested in it was I felt like I didn't have the best, 
you know, um, you know, relationship or advisor. We didn't really have that back in the day. But, you know, as medical students enter UNC School of Medicine, they're divided into like 12 12 different advisors and there's six colleges and almost a Harry Potter style of, you know, there's a, um, you know, two people, two advisors, faculty members, uh, mine's an internist, um, and then me, but, you know, they're divided. And then I watch and help, you know, guide them and meet with them regularly over the course of four years. Um, and, and I do, I, t- I teach medical students, I teach all the medical students in their second year in a human behavior course, kind of introducing them to psychiatry, which is pretty brief. It's only two weeks, but then I get to see a lot of them again in my third year or through my advising college. So yes, I mean, all my work when I'm taking care of patients, it's actually as kind of more of a supervisor. I, I have whether physicians that are learning psychiatry called our residents or it's medical students providing that care. And I'm just trying to guide them the best they, that I can. Oh, that's really great. Thank you for, for what you do. So we're going to move on to some general mental health and therapy questions. Just just some things I hear as a pastor and even as a just an American, you know, I just hear you hear things, people, misconceptions or everybody's got an opinion. And then and then we're going to move into some more covid related questions about how all of our mental health has been affected because of this pandemic. And it's 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 affected every facet of society. But the first question in the general you know, mental health and, and thinking about therapy is how do how do how can we self evaluate? How do we learn how to self evaluate and know when we need to talk to someone? Sure, and, I think that's a, go ahead, go ahead. That's an excellent then, question. It, yeah, and then the second half is just kind of or how do we help someone else who's struggling? When when do we recommend counseling? Yeah, you know, I think that you know a normal person is going to have ups and downs, right? Like they're going to have emotions, and that's just part of being human. And, you know, as people start self-reflecting, you know, it's really great if they can kind of see patterns within themselves. Um, you know, I think for me, you know, when you're evaluating, you know, how things are going, what I ask people often is like, how are you functioning? Like, how is this affecting you and your relationships, your family, your friends, you know, um, you know, are you able to, you know, maintain your work and, 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 and still enjoy things? If the answer is, you know, no, that you're, you're, you're being in, that you're not enjoying things or that, you know, you're being impacted, then, then I think it's time to have a discussion with your family, your friends, your pastor, um, and, and, and then reflect and pray about it and see like, you know, um, you know, what does God want from me and, 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 and be open to what that answer might be. And, um, if you're not sure, I do think people that you trust that know you well may have some insights into those things. Your That's second good. part. And then along the, go on. Yeah. Second part. Yeah. How do, how do we encourage someone else uh, who's struggling? Like just, and Eric, you can pipe in too, cause you, you've also done some counseling and, and just been around youth and college students and even, even done a lot of outreach in the community. What are some ways that we could just kind of help someone to, to recommend counseling to them? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just wanted to say too, that I think, I think, Ken, how you how you really spelled out this idea of how disruptive is this on your life right now is is such a helpful way of of starting to at least a, at least a good beginning question and and just really unpacking what's going on and and what kind of emotions you're dealing with what what circumstances are are arising within you and and uh, is that disruptive for family life is that disruptive for work life is that causing things to become more imbalanced 
um, is how, how is it influencing your overall mood throughout your day? And, and, it, and it can vary from uh, in different seasons. Um, and there's even, I mean, you could even get into clinical versus just uh, maybe more abnormal emotions, but, or, or, or whatever. But, <clears throat> you know, I think when it, when it comes to helping other people too, what I've learned a lot is that more often than not, people aren't even aware of themselves or like what, what they're experiencing or that it might be uh, like abnormal or um, I, I see this a lot with, especially with our, with our youth that as they're, as with, with COVID, for example, and I realize that we're going to get to COVID in, in a little bit, but there's definitely a lot more anxiety um, within, within this younger generation than what I've, what I've seen in, in the past, what I've experienced in, in my own generation, people my age. And, and it's not even just asking outright about someone's anxiety. It's not even asking. Sometimes it's, it's just trying to ask more probing questions that draw somebody out more, um, which, which can be challenging to do. Um, but just helping other people be able to see what they're experiencing and, and they may, may not even know what to call it. They may not even have words to, to put to what, what's going on in their lives or, or what they're experiencing or, or even, um, if, if there are other people around them that can even speak into that. And some people have that. Some people maybe are, are less open to, to talking about it. And so um, I think even encouraging, you know, even if you're not the one to, to be that source of support for them, um, maybe they don't feel comfortable for whatever reason, depending on the, the relationship, being able to encourage them to open up to those people that they, they do have relationships of trust with, where, where there is that more open line of communication, whether that's with parents, depending on age and family circumstance, or if that's with uh, close friends, or if that's with, um, you know, people, people at work. Uh, yeah. Well, so I'm going back to my seminary experience. So I'm taking classes to be, you know, in this, I was in pastoral counseling and my, our professor who was a professional uh, counselor told us the pastor or the small group leader or the, the person in the church, generally you, you can do three to four counseling sessions. Once it moves past that, it's best to move them on to something more professional. Uh, just because we're not fully trained in that. We're trained in spiritual direction, not in therapy. And there's there's an overlap. but And also pastors are in, and leaders in the church are for the whole flock. So if I'm spending so much time with one person, it's to the neglect of the spiritual health of the, of the rest of the, the flock. So, so I like that advice. So I've generally taken that. But then as a, as a pastor, we're taught there's a couple levels. Like the first level is what we call just Christian counseling. And sometimes they're licensed, sometimes they're not. They're sometimes trained at a seminary, sometimes trained in a general uh, you know, school like UNC. And then there's licensed counseling. And then it moves on to more, uh, Ken, like what you do, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So maybe, uh, Eric, can you talk about the first wave? Because that's what you were trained to do. And then, Ken, can you show, like, when do you shift from, you know, just needing just someone to talk to and, and to really medical, medical attention? Like, how do, how, do we, how do we move along this sphere? Because we, you know, as, as we trust God with ourselves and with the ones we love that, we're, that are seeking counseling. Yeah, so, so I think that... Um... Yeah, you know, I, I got training uh, in seminary from as a biblical counselor, and so so being trained to think from from 
uh, from that vantage point. And I think that there are a lot of limitations to, to that um, in terms of what your scope is. I, I, think, I think one of the, the benefits of, of a biblical counselor um, or somebody who's trying to operate more of the category used is, is Christian counseling, Danny, is it, you, you can really thrive if you know what you're, what you're good at and what you're, what's out of your depths. Uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to do beyond what, what you feel, uh, unqualified to, to really counsel or lead somebody through. So that, that could mean, um, you know, in my experience, that was more so related to maybe it's, it's like family counseling or, um, dealing with different, different kinds of emotions, uh, maybe, maybe even getting into like trauma or abuse. Um, but then, then when it comes to more, clinical diagnoses or, or things that, you know, being able, I, th- I think it, uh, clin- uh, Christian counselors really benefit from building relationships with uh, Christian or just with, with psychologists or psychiatrists who, who are able to uh, speak in, 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 in a more uh, substantive way about some of the, these, these other kinds of issues or complexities that, that can affect the person. And then, so moving on from just general counseling, you, ju- you just need some counseling, Kenan, like how do we know, like how to, what the counselor would recommend them to come to you or like how, what, how does mental health work as a whole in, in your field and how, how do we think about this as Christians? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people can come to attention, um, you know, one way would be, you know, what you talked about, self-identifying and then seeking help through a counselor or, you know, um, a pastor and, and saying, you know, maybe you need more help. And so there's the individuals that do the pure counseling side of it. And, you know, that would be like social workers, licensed professional counselors, marriage and family therapists, you know. Um, and then, at a, at a, at a, you know, people that have gone maybe a little bit further and in, in getting a PhD are called psychologists, you know. I think that they're they're going to treat the vast majority of you know what you see. When you start getting into you know okay they're not responding or you know there's individuals that you know lose touch with reality and have symptoms of psychosis which can be you know severe forms of depression or bipolar or schizophrenia or substances you know once it's moved beyond the mild to moderate and it's more in the moderate to severe category, then you're looking at somebody that's probably going to be prescribing medications, you know, alongside with therapy. So I, I don't think you ever give up the talk part, but you, you might add on to it. Um, and, and the low, like the, the, the level that you first enter in is probably like nurse practitioners or physician's assistants that, you know, have some experience in the field. And, um, you know, then you, I guess a vast majority of people probably get help through their primary care doctor. If you look at who prescribes most of people's, you know, antidepressants or, you know, ADHD counseling, or, um, attention deficit disorder kind of medications, it's, it's often the primary care. When, when they are struggling or they need more help and guidance, that's often when they come to my attention or when the police bring somebody in because they're, you know, a, acute danger to themselves or other people. And we're not sure that we can connect with them just through talking. Um, th- that's when, you know, psychiatrists generally get involved. Um, so what would you say to the person who says, you know, you don't need therapy, just change the way you think or pull yourself up by your bootstraps or just try harder? 
or claim that the person's just using this as a crutch, or even in Christian church circles, just trust God. You know, why you should trust God more. You know, how do, what do you say to that person? And even the stigma with taking medication too, you know, how do, how do, how do you think through that? And what are, what are some, what's some thoughts you have on that? Kenan? I think that's great. I mean, I get this question all the time and, and, and people that are hesitant and, you know, what I do is I equate it with any other illness. So I, I say, you know, this is like diabetes or a heart attack or cancer. Um, by all means, I, I want you to, you know, continue to pray and continue to trust in God, but it's not exclusive. And, and in fact, often when people get to this state where they're so paralyzed or so impaired, um, you know, they're not able to kind of make those decisions. And, 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 and mental illness is just like physical illness. It's, it's a combination of the genetics you get dealt and then the environmental stressors that you, you know, encounter. And, and, you know, nobody deserves this. Nobody, you know, did something that made them have this and they don't want it, you know, at any level, um, you know, but those people, just like somebody with diabetes, you know, doesn't want diabetes, you know, can do everything they can to manage their diet, but they still may need medications. And that's what I equate it with is like, you know, we've reached a point now where I think medications are indicated and I want you to continue in the therapy and I want you to continue your spiritual beliefs and, you know, pray to God and we can work, you know, together along this journey and try to get you to a better spot. I, I mean, I think of God as the greatest physician, you know, he, all the miracles that he was able to, you know, Christ, you know, came and, and, and had so many miracles, so many healings, you know, he he's kind of the aspirational physician or psychiatrist if, if, in my book. Yeah. You have any thoughts on that, Eric, just as you've, you know, just been a pastor and a counselor? And I mean, I, I guess one thing that, uh, you know, as Keenan, as you're, as you're talking about it too, one, one question that comes to mind is um, if you, if you have any thoughts or if you could elaborate more on, on just this idea of, you know, on the one hand, when, whenever you get some kind of, of label of what's going on, it can be really freeing and helpful and, and encouraging to say, okay, like this is what I'm dealing with. And, uh, and, and there's some kind of uh, path forward. And some maybe that's, maybe that's a, medication regimen that you start taking there's there's other in addition to these other ways of counseling but then on the flip side uh one thing that i've i've been hesitant about with it is that people can then become to let that be what shapes their identity as a person they're like i am this this is who i am and this becomes all encompassing of of what life is like would you could you speak to that a little bit sure I mean, I, th- I, you know, it's not in the, you know, psychiatry is interesting because it's not exact art. We, we can't take your blood work and say, you know, for, you know, you, you're, you know, um, you know, white blood cells show this and that's why we know that you're depressed or, you know, there, it, it, you know, there's a lot of gray. And so while I may give a diagnosis, I, I'm human, I'm, I could error. And so, you know, I think, you know, we have good data to suggest what we do is based on science, but, you know, there is still a mystery at art, you know, and a spiritual component to this. And so, you know, these labels that we give out um, should not define you. In fact, you know, you, you should be, and I tell the patients all the time, even though I'm giving, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, giving you this diagnosis or this is what I believe that's going on. That doesn't mean that you can't live a full and, you know, um, 
you know, fulfilled life. And, and so I really try to get people to accept this is just part of who they are. Like, you know, I'm losing my hair. That doesn't define who I am, you know, in the same sense of if I'm dealing with depression or anxiety, that doesn't define or, or limit who I am. It's actually the opposite. You know, that's, that's, you know, you know, something that you can, you know, work through and it's just part of your identity, but it shouldn't define you or limit you in any, any way. And, and these labels can be wrong. Like, you know, we, we, we make mistakes all the time. And so, you know, I think we're constantly reevaluating and looking over time, but I, I would be hesitant to like, you know, have somebody, you know, really, I, I think it is helpful for them to understand that they're not alone and that there's hope for them and that there's help, but I don't want them to feel limited or feel that that label defines them in any ways. And so that's a, that's a great idea. Great thought. I think that's part of, you know, as, as we're dealing with these things that getting, getting more uh, professional help or, or, you know, what, whatever, whatever the kind of care that people think they need it is, is a part of caring for the whole person that, that, you know, even to, to say, just trust God or just do, um, just try harder. I mean, for one, that's not even, that's not even the gospel that, that we, we would, we wouldn't tell people to do that in, in other areas where it's just, Oh, just try harder, just work harder, just, just get over it. Um, but it's, is actually a way of, of, of genuinely showing love for somebody is it, because these things can be hindrances to, uh, to learning to trust God and, and just, just saying that can can even uh, minimize the struggle that, that they're facing, and so I think I think being able to 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 be like Jesus, to be incarnational, and in, in how we approach people as they as they deal with mental health issues, uh, we we want to get down on their level. We want to try to understand. We want to get into their world and understand their context and what they're experiencing, and and so in a lot of ways, it, it's just it becomes really easy to, or maybe too easy for us to say, hey, just get over it. Um, when we can be doing the real work of, of loving them and seeking to understand where they're at and how we can, how we can be a part of, of meaningful change in their lives as, as the Lord uses us. Yeah. Thanks guys for, this is good. I'm learning a lot. I'm really just processing a lot. One question that comes up a lot is how do we know the differences between season, seasonal or situational depression and anxiety versus like clinical depression? And this is probably more for you, Kenan. Just like how to how to distinguish the two because if some serious things happen in your life and is there some gray in there that it, what was seasonal sh- turns into more clinical like because this would help people to know you know do I need medicine do I need counseling yeah I don't I don't know because I, I feel like this one comes up a lot sure you know I go back to like you know people have natural emotions of being up and down and 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 that's part of life when 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 auburn loses danny i imagine that at least for a few hours and maybe even for a day or two you might be a little bit more down if you f- were to fail a test you're an adolescent and you fail a test you're going to be down for a day or two and and that's that's part of being human what i would say is i'd go back to the functional like when it when you can no longer change, you know, what you want, like, you know, you're not looking forward to the next Auburn game, or you're not able to even study, you know, when you start, you know, disconnecting from your family or friends from school, or from, you know, work, you know, that that's concerning for a, a more, you know, more than situational, because you're, you're, you're taking that situation out. And if you're not enjoying things that you're doing, or people that you're around, and you can't change or influence your mood by going on vacation or going on a good trip, well, you're probably then 
entering into a depression. And and that's that's perfectly fine. We know that's incredibly common that people become depressed and get out of depression, you know. More than half the people that, you know, have a depressive episode will rebound and and and, and not have a future depressive episode and not need medications and be able to manage it on their own, but we just need to be aware when people's functioning starts going down and often it's the people around like we talked about. And so, you know, and then you you touched on this other topic of, of of a seasonal depression. Well, you know, there are individuals that, you know, as the, you know, sunlight starts to go down and, you know, we enter from, you know, summer to fall and then into winter that they, they recognize a, a downshift in their mood. And those individuals, you know, seasonal affective disorder do for, have a form of depression. The, the fortunate thing is it's very treatable um, and it doesn't often even need medications. You know, it can be therapy. You know, that's the first line treatment for all kinds of all forms of depression. But there's also light therapy for those individuals. And you see this frequently in people in Canada or Alaska or the, you know, extreme you know, poles that, you know, exposure to light and the right type of light um, early in the morning can actually help prevent that depression. Wow. So much. And it's just, we're, we're spiritual beings. We're emotional beings. And so much of who we are is, is, is up and down. And, and we, so, so we're going to, I'm going to move into one question I have before we move into the COVID stuff. And this fascinates me is, it's kind of personality types. I feel like the personality types that are more optimistic and more go-getters tend to look at mental health stuff as through their own experience, through their own lens. And then the the ones that maybe are more pessimistic naturally or more you know more just see the world as as harder or see see the darkness more than the than the light, they tend to um perceive things differently. So how, how have you seen like personality types and, and, and how to, and that, that affects us as a community, as, as we try to encourage each other and, and really deal with mental health and deal with when someone is anxious, like, how would you recommend someone walk alongside somebody? And this is for you too, Eric, just encouraging one another, whether we're in a more situational depression or an anxiety or, or an actual clinical depression or anxiety and our personalities. So, you know, what I would say is that, you know, everybody has a different personality and, you know, there are people that have what we call disorders, but, you know, a personality disorder really to be diagnosed would be made over time. And, you know, it would be that they're impaired in terms of their functioning or their relationships. And, and it's, it's, a un, it's, it's persistent. So it's not like they, t- you know, turn it on and turn it off. It's usually persistent in all areas. And then it's maladaptive. And, and so it's not helping them any. And so when it turns into that, that that's, you know, uh, something that could really benefit from therapy. Um, you know, what you're talking also, though, you know, brings me back to the thought of like, you know, it's, it's hard to tease out. Is this person there? kind of just a negative outlook kind of person, or are they experiencing somewhat of a depression? Because, you know, what I equate depression to is almost having negative sunglasses on that, like anything that's positive or hopeful, you usually filter out. And the things that like, you know, are, are, you know, maybe not going in your way, you know, in your life, you really focus on. And, and, and the key here is that if somebody is like that, there is a form of therapy and it's, it's cognitive behavioral therapy that is incredibly helpful that just has people start to analyze what those thoughts in their mind, like how they impact them. So you could imagine a case where, you know, 
you you walk in late and everybody looks over at you and you in your head start you know noticing like I'm always late things aren't going well for me then next thing you know your heart's racing maybe your stomach's aching maybe you're starting to sweat and it's all because of the thoughts but you know if we had that person reframe their thoughts and start talking through it well when somebody makes noise in a classroom it's natural tendency for everybody to look over and just because you're late today doesn't mean that every single day that you're late and so really getting them to refocus and 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 kind of correct some of those distorted thoughts that may be going on is a really helpful way that people can get assistance with whether it's situational or you know in personality or actually depression and so that's cognitive behavioral therapy in a nutshell and and something that i think is underutilized, but something that can be really helpful is, is, is kind of not not being overly positive, but being more realistic of, you know, why this might have gone on and, and, and kind of correcting some of the thoughts in their mind that may be influencing not only how they physically feel, their sweating or their upset stomach, but also maybe influencing um, how they, you know, emotionally feel. Yeah, I think I think that's really helpful. I think that's great. Um, I, that, that kind of makes me think of, of just this side, this from, from like a biblical standpoint, this idea of taking our thoughts captive for the, for the Lord and thinking, uh, thinking God's thoughts after Him, and, and how we understand ourselves, and how we how we uh, even in our sanctif- sanctification, how we're how we're trying to grow and 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 uh, in our spiritual lives, and, and but but also going back to your question, Danny, about uh, people who have different differences in their personalities and, and how they relate. I mean, this is just more, more of like a, some general thoughts about that, but, uh, it, you know, it could be, it could be that somebody who is generally more optimistic. I mean, uh, it, it's even going back to what Kenan had, had talked about from the very beginning of how people, all, all people have ebbs and flows or they, they have, uh, hills and valleys in terms of their, their range of emotions and, and just going through life. And so maybe, um, maybe some people more naturally, uh, stay higher than other people do, or they stay lower than other people do. And just in terms of their, their mood or their, their outlook. And, um, so that, that may mean that somebody's more, more prone to, uh, being sad or down, but it, but it also could be that, uh, the person who is, is more naturally pessimistic could be better at grieving things. Maybe they're more open to, grief or anxiety and, and just working through that. Whereas the person who is generally more optimistic ends up maybe, maybe something really rattles them and they're not ready for it and they can't shake it. And then they don't, they haven't really learned some of the the skills they need to, to really deal with that. And so uh, they end up delaying that they, maybe they, they push off grief or they, uh, or they deny their, their own anxiety and, um, and so I think, I think for somebody like that, sometimes it's just mirroring for them what they're actually experiencing. Sometimes it's, it's just, they don't even hear themselves they're, they're, And, and so you need to, to be able to, uh, to identify some of the key words that they're saying and, and, and to identify some of the key things that, that they're saying and speak that back to them so they can hear it for themselves and, and really start to take ownership of, of what they're actually experiencing and, uh, begin to, to process some of the different stages. If, if you're talking about grief or, um, or, or, you know, anxieties, different, different emotions. Thanks guys. So before we move into this COVID kind of our current reality section, I, so I want to kind of want to sum it up. So as a pastor, I mean, I feel like the body of Christ, we can solve, we can deal with a lot of this stuff in community. We can love each other. We're, we're helping each other. We're identifying 
man, you're really hurting or this, this is hard. This, this life circumstance is hard and we're, we're loving each other. We're caring for each other. And then somebody might just can't, they can't snap out of it. Something's off. They need to talk to someone else. And we identify that as friends, as pastors, as whoever. And we just say, Hey, maybe you should, you should go to counseling. There's no stigma in that. There's, you know, there's, there are counselors. We have different, you know, we, we can recommend this person to you. Then if you're in counseling, the counselor would be the one to start identifying, man, this pattern, you're not breaking this pattern. Like it's, it continues to happen. And they, the counselor might say, hey, maybe medication or some vitamins or su- some supplements or your therapy needs to intensify. And then th- down the road, we'll start, if, if it is a more serious mental health problem, all these people are caring for you. We have all these structures in place. And then you can trust God in the, that the doctors are, you know, pushing you in the right direction and you can continue to, but Ken, you're saying you, you don't leave that community. It's not like you start seeing the psychiatrist and all the other things you were doing beforehand, you quit doing, but it's just maybe at that moment, you might need a higher level of medication or you, you might need more, more care. And then there are some people who, for some reason, are seriously ment- mentally struggling and, and this sickness is real and you, p- doctors like you are called to really help them and to just like the doctor who helps someone with cancer or the doctor who fixes a broken leg, you can begin to to bring restoration and hope to them. Hey guys, we're back and I have Dr. Kenneth Peniskovic and Eric here and we are going to focus now our conversation on COVID. In the past, we're going on almost a year. I mean, literally, I think March 7th, 10th is when the world shut down and many of us went into isolation and and we lost community and all of us have experienced loss in some way, whether you're denying it or not. Um, so my question to both of you is, how can we begin to help ourselves to deal with the grief and loss of this past year? And then how can we help others? Like, what are some things as you've been processing this, both of you all have dedicated your lives to thinking about helping others and, and helping each other, helping others through anxiety. What are, what are some ways how we can help ourselves and then, and then begin to help others? Um, okay. You know, it, 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 you know, first, I mean, it's just a terrible combination, you know, people being kind of socially isolated and then, you know, locking down and, 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 you know, really one of the worst things for depression is being isolated and kind of retreating. And so it's been incredibly stressful in terms of the loss of jobs, life, financial, racial tensions, you know, political turmoil. So, you know, it's no surprise to me how common we're seeing mental illness pop up. And I, I think this is going to be the final wave of, and, and maybe the most devastating of the pandemic. You know, we're we're looking at almost 500,000 people dying. Um, you know, a, a recent survey by the Census Bureau showed that, you know, 42% of, you know, Americans are dealing now with depression and anxiety. And if, if we had looked at this, like you said, Danny, we're going on a year, a year ago, that number was 11%. So, you know, we've seen this massive spike. And, and the wow. bad thing, is, the bad thing is that the trauma, you know, when trauma impacts people, you know, it, it has a persistent impact. And so it's not just, you know, going to impact people in the next couple of days or weeks. This, this can be something, you know, when trauma occurs that it, it, it can devastate people for months to years. And so, you know, I'm just plugging how, how common this is. If you're struggling with this, you know, we, we know mental health in general impacts one out of four, you know, individuals. And so, 
you know, I think the first thing we have to do is normalize that everyone is going through a loss process, like you talked about, Danny, and 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 the things that we can do, we can we can expand upon that as we talk. But the biggest thing is just to normalize it and to you know be a you know active listener and check in with your family and friends and 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 see what you can do within your church group, you know. To try to you know connect with individuals because that that's really some of the best medicine in fighting against this is is connecting in some form or fashion. Yeah, I, I think that from, from my vantage point and, and coming from it from a from a pastoral perspective, uh, you know, I don't I don't have any of the the data or, or things to to kind of throw out there. I mean, it's a pretty startling statistic about um, just the rise in in, in depression and, and mental health that, that we're seeing, and it, it totally makes sense. I mean, one of the things that uh, I've been saying is that I don't think that we we fully comprehend the, the mental toll that that COVID is is having on us as uh, not just as as individuals. I mean, some people have have really thrived during COVID, and and good good for them. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But but I think even collectively, uh, I mean, we've all been impacted by by this virus in some way, whether it's it is within your home or if it's with somebody that you know or a family friend or, or a coworker or whoever, um, or just, you know, loss of jobs and, and all these things. And, and I, I think that one of the things that I would want to focus on is, especially earlier on, we, we've kind of, we've talked a lot about neighbor love and neighbor love, meaning following all of these, these guidelines as a way of, of protecting and caring for the people around us. So, you know, washing your hands, uh, wearing masks, uh, social distancing, all of these things. And, and I think those things are important. And I, I in no way want to, to minimize, the, minimize those things because I think we should do those things. We should continue to do those things. They matter. And they, they, I think that what we're seeing is that they, they work. Those things are working for, for the people who are putting those things into practice. Um, but I, I think that uh, we can't reduce neighbor love to do no harm. I think that uh, and, and what I mean by that is we, we can't just say, well, as long as I stay away from people that I'm caring well for them, because we, we have to think holistically about people. We're, we're not just physical beings. We're, we're spiritual beings, like you, you mentioned earlier, Danny. And so we, we need to be able to, to care for people, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And, and, and so I think for a lot of us, and, and, and I've, I've, been a part of this too. And, and just feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of zoomed out. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do stuff virtually. Some people spend all day doing that. Um, and, and when you are isolated to your home, it's, it's very easy to get into this mentality of out of sight, out of mind. And you think, well, nobody's really thinking about me. Like, do people actually care? Do they care about me and the things that I'm experiencing, the things that I'm thinking, where, where do I even go? Where are the spaces? Where is this community? That, that I want to be a part of, or who are these friends that, that I need right now? And, and so I think, I think for us, I mean, it's just being able to reach out and, and knowing that there's more ways. What we, we need to, in some ways, redefine what it means to, to practice neighbor love. I, I think those are wonderful points. I mean, I, 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 I can't, you know, thank you enough for bringing them up, Eric. Uh, you know, I think this has impacted our, our youth more than, you know, the adults. Um, I, th- I think their loss of routine with school, um, with their friends, like, you know, it's been very challenging for them. And so really what I, I try to do, you know, for my own family, have, you know, a father of six is, you know, try to keep connected with people, you know, 
we still, you know, either go to church and, and, and it's outside you know, even right now in the cold or, you know, they do record it if the weather's too bad. But I think you still got to be involved in your spiritual community and you still need to connect to people socially, you know, whether that means, you know, um, Danny and I got together and watched uh, a football game outside with our families just to keep safe, but just to have some interaction with people and, 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 you know, one of my daughters connects online to my, to my mother, listening to Harry Potter every day, like, you know, just so that they have something to do. And my son's still doing like a youth group at a church, you know, but, you know, we really need to reach out to each other and still maintain, you know, not only the social connection, but the spiritual connection um, and, and talk about what's going on and how hard things are and, 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 and recognize that. Yeah. Thanks guys. And it, and just for the waypoint people out there, we, just know we as pastors and staff, we we love you guys and we've tried to set up some structures. It kind of was a bummer that our last couple of outside things have been rained out and we're going to keep trusting God with this. In March, we're hoping to have some more inside social distance things. We're, we're doing our best, but also you guys have to take some initiative too with each other, like send texts to each other, like call. I know calling kind of died when text took off, uh, my generation calls much more than the generation below me and the generation below them. But I hate, I don't know. I don't know. Like, let's just, as we come out of this, let's just, but we're not there yet. Let's just continue to, to be with each other, meet outside, get a lawn chair and just go to someone's yard. If, if you don't, if you can't go in their house and yeah. So thanks guys. And, and I want everyone out there to hear, that this is a loss for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like even if you weren't a senior in high school and you didn't lose your prom and your graduation and your job, you actually get paid double because your company is a software company that's making more money or whatever. It's a loss. There's no concerts. There's no, there, there's no church events. There's no gatherings. There's no picnics and cookouts and, and restaurants are stressful because you sit you're sitting apart and you, and your waitress has a mask on and you can't even, talk and you know that this is a loss we're communal people we were created to engage with each other and love each other god knows knew that this was going to happen but he allowed us to to go go through it and he's he's going to see us through and my prayer is that we'll be more loving at the end of this we'll be more trusting in god and we'll realize that we're not in control that that we need to just trust god with each aspect of our lives but i i do want to reiterate that that all of us, even if you don't think you feel it, this this has been tough, and all of us need each other. So let's let's really be the be there for each other now as we're still in it, but we're seeing some hope. And as we come out of it, my next question for you guys in is, what about parents of school aged children? Ken, and you you alluded to this a little bit. You know, how can we help our children deal deal with this now as they're getting a little more engagement? It looks like schools are going to open up at least partially, and they're trying to get at least the last quarter open so kids can have some interaction before they go back. But how how can we help our children deal with this now and then moving forward? Like, and maybe even say elementary, preschool, elementary, and then youth. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think kids need routines, and they need to kind of, you know, have some social outlets. And so, um, you know, Anything you can do to, you know, help your child um, feel included and, in, 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 you know, a part of a community is going to be helpful. 
um, even even down to the you know pre K into the you know elementary age. You know, we still need to get them on some type of routine um, where you know they you know can check in and and that you're kind of talking to them and, and opening up because. I don't think we're going to re- recognize like, you know, for a kid, this is going to be devastating. You know, there, you know, we had the security growing up, you know, Danny, I and Eric that, you know, through our formative years, things were fairly stable. There wasn't, you know, massive world wars and there weren't, you know, huge, you know, extended periods of time where we had this kind of trauma. So, you know, what I really harp on is like, how do you keep your kids on some form of routine? You know, that's, you know, eating and sleeping healthy, you know, is part of it, exercising regularly, having a spiritual life, you know, trying to connect where they can, you know, um, and just talking about, you know, like what's going on and, 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 you know, the uncertainty, but that God does have a plan, I think can be helpful. And, and there's great reason to be hopeful. I mean, like you said, Danny, the numbers are starting to trend down, the vaccinations are up. And, you know, so giving the kids some sense of that hope that things will return to a, a, a normal life, I think is encouraging. And, and so, you know, I try to maintain routines for my kids the best I can, you know, be honest you know, to a degree with them of, you know, this is serious, but, but still try to get them connected. If there's things that can be done safely, you know, if school can be done safely, it, it, it would be helpful if they can, you know, join a soccer team or do something outside. You know, I think those are healthy ways that you can help your kids through this process. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, I think being able to, to have these different kinds of routines, I think from, um, coming from like a church standpoint, I think one, one of the, the best things that we can do in helping our, our families is uh, be able to reestablish trust with them. I think, I think part of reestablishing or, or at least maintaining, building that trust is, is creating safe environments, COVID friendly environments where, where families feel like, okay, my kid, my kid can participate in this. My kid can be in, in these spaces in within our community. And, and I know that the, the other people in it are, are going to be safe and they're going to, they're going to be considering what my, what my child's needs are. Um, you know, I think, I think being able to in, encourage uh, kids in different age ages and, um, and being able to, to spell out what it, what it is to, to, to do safe activities or finding ways to, to get outside and, and encouraging the family. I think especially getting out of these winter months to be able to, to be outside, to do outside activities, to, to get into the sun. I mean, so I wish it would stop raining so that we can kind of kind of get beyond that. But um, yeah, can you, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I, I was going to flip the table on you a little bit and give you a question, Danny and Eric, that you guys might hear or that, you know, kids might bring up is, you know, how could this, you know, God that's all loving and all powerful, how could they let something like this, you know, coronavirus and, 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 you know, how could they allow it to kill so many people and, and devastate the world? Like, how do you approach that with you and your families? I mean, that's, that's, you know, a really difficult question. I, I, I do have some thoughts of it, but I was wondering how you guys approach that. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I definitely, this is by far the most devastating thing that has happened probably since World War II that affected the whole world. Now, I, I, I don't say that lightly because places like Sudan and Syria, and these there, there have been parts of the world that haven't seen the peace and the prosperity that we've seen in America. Uh, but this is the first time in a long time where everyone everywhere 
whether you're rich or poor, whether you had a comfortable life or, a, or, you know, your life wasn't that great because of poverty or other such circumstances, everyone was affected by this. Everyone uh, suffered. And, and I think Jesus didn't promise to take us out of the world. He said he'd be with us in the suffering. I think moments like this, we can learn to say we're not in control, that God is the, the sovereign God of the universe and he, and he is loves this world, but there is a brokenness that Christ came to fix. And he, he said, I'm the kingdom of God is near and it's at hand, but he also said, I'm coming again soon to make all things right. So we as Christians in Advent, we kind of remember this season of Jesus came, but he's coming again. And, and I feel like moments like this force us to realize that the answer comes in the Messiah. The answer comes in the, the suffering servant of Jesus. And th- these are moments where we can, we can say, God, the world, you're right. The world isn't what it ought to be. And we are called to love others and we're called to be like Jesus. And I feel like if everything's comfortable, like it was for many Americans for so long, we, we, we don't need God. We don't need to rely on him. And, and we tend to be selfish in our comfort. But moments like this, I think God allows them to happen just because they're part of the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world. I don't think, I don't think God's sitting up there like, ha, 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 I'm so glad this happened. I'll teach you because that's not the loving father that we see in the prodigal son. But at the same time, God allows us to experience the brokenness, just like Jesus went into the suffering is what we remember now as we prepare for Lent and Holy Week, you know, and, and Jesus goes into the suffering and, and comes out of it, the king who conquers death. And, and I, I feel like moments like this, we as Christians can say, we don't know. We really don't know why this is happening to the extent it happens in one way. But in another way, we totally know that God is in control and he loves us and he's going to sustain us through these things. So I, I know you probably, I probably wouldn't say that to a four-year-old. I'd probably say that to a teenager. And then the essence of that maybe could be scaled down to a child that God loves us and he's with us and he's going to, you know, allow us to suffer and be part of the suffering, but he's also allowing us to, to use this to, to love others and to love God, which are the, which is the greatest commandment. Eric, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like what you have to say, Danny. Uh, th- th- something that, that comes to mind, I think a, a similar question that, that parallels what you're asking is, you know, I heard a lot of people ask, what, it, what was God doing in 2020, especially given all the, all the circumstances that really unfolded? And, and even that's, that, that leads into this year as, as things, I mean, 2021 hasn't really let up in terms of just trials. And I mean, we, of course, we have the vaccine that, that's been distributed and still, you know, things are, things are looking better than they have. But, um, you know, I, I think to, to kind of flip it is, is just saying, you know, if God really does hold all things together, and if he, if he really does hold our lives together, then why it, it can be hard to quantify what exactly that means and what exa- how, how that manifests itself. But why, why aren't things worse than they are? Like, why, why am I not experiencing more pain, more suffering, more trials? You know, I think the fact that, and, and even in our trials, the fact that God does, I have found that, that God does sustain us. Um, like Danny's saying, he doesn't promise prosperity. He doesn't, pro- I mean, at least not 
in this lifetime. I mean, we, we look ahead to, uh, to the heavenly kingdom. We look ahead to uh, the, the promised rest that, that God has for us in Jesus, but he doesn't say that uh, it's guaranteed to us in, in this earthly place. And so I think, I think walking in faith and, and learning to trust God is, is to be able to say, um, you know, God, even, even though all of these things are coming about, I still don't think that they thwart your plans. I still think that what, what you have set before us is, is coming about in your timing and in your ways. And I don't understand it. I don't fully understand it, but I know that you're in control. I know that you're good and I know that you love me. And, and so I'm going to continue to trust you. And, and, and like Dane's saying, he's, God sees us through in those times that he, he, he does sustain us. He does hold us. Um, and he's doing a lot more than we give him credit for that. that and, and he's working with, with sinful humanity. Uh, and yet his plans are still coming about, you know, we, we think we, we would be the ones to, to kind of undo him, but we, we don't, he's, he's still able to work through, through us. Yeah. And I just pray that this humbles us as Americans and points us back to the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, we've been studying Matthew as a church, you know, like, come to me and I'll give you rest. And he says, I'm gentle and humble. And I think so much of America's great and I'm glad to live here, but so much of America is about comfort and getting more and more and more. And moments like these, we can step back and say, God, you know, am I selfish? Am I, the these expose the, the, the hurt and the brokenness in me and, and how can I come out of this and be more like you and, and be more like Christ. And, and so that's kind of my answer. It's, it's not complete. I wish I had a better answer, but I think that's, that's the answer of the Christian is that we're there, but we're not there yet. And God loves us and he's given us what we need and he's called us to love him and love others. Uh, the final thing I just wanted to, to hit on as, as we go out is, I mean, I feel like this is, the effects of this are going to last for a long time. I mean, it's like you said, Kenan, I mean, 11 to 40%, 11% of the population feeling anxiety to 40%. That's huge. That's going to be similar to like what happened when the soldiers came back from world war two or the, these, these events were just, there's just a lot of like the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world is really exposed. And we, we have to look deep inside and say, okay, God, what am I called to do? So coming out of this, I don't know, Eric, do you have any thoughts or Kenan, just how, how can we continue to love others and be, be prepared knowing that it's not like the vaccination happens, we go back to normal life, we don't have to wear a mask and everybody's going to be okay. So how can we continue to be ambassadors for Jesus and, and just trust him as we come out of this? Um, yeah, I, I think that one thing is, is just, I think even, even, without COVID, this would, it would be important to, to kind of drown out some of the noise of, of social media and uh, just, just the chatter. I mean, we, we live in a time where there's, there's, I mean, we have an abundance of information and we have an abundance of, of places to voice our opinions and to, to argue and, and to, um, to just, just let the banter continue on and it's never, never ending. And so I think I think one thing is just being able to to put down our devices from time to time to to be able to take a break to be able to um, to to rest and and to not listen to all the noise all the time. I think is is going to be something that will be helpful just generally to do um, as as we're talking about the 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 
aggregate of, of anxiety that we're feeling. That's, that's one source of it. Um, and even, even how we're interpreting what's going on with COVID and, and the current status of it all. Uh, but I think, I think continuing to, uh, to be charitable with, with people, to continue to, to press in, to, to, um, to seek them out, to let people know that you haven't forgotten them to, I mean, even, even something as simple as saying, Hey, like the Lord put you on, on my mind today. I'd love to pray for you. How are you doing? You know, just to get, to shoot a text like that. I mean, that could be, um, I, I, I think continuing to, uh, I mean, really to, to prioritize some of the, like reestablishing, rebuilding these relationships within the communities that, that God has placed us in, um, I, I think will be really important and just wanting to love people, wanting to care for people, wanting to meet them where they're at. And uh, I, I imagine as, as we continue to, to navigate these times that, that, you know, it's, it's not, we, we keep wanting to ask what normalcy is going to be or when we're going to have a return to normal. Uh, and, and, you know, there's questions about, will we ever get back to normal or should we want to get back to normal? And, and I think just uh, th- those are some of the things that even that, that creates anxiety and, and, in my, in my life too. And I'm like, what does that mean? What, what, what should we, we be seeking after? And so I think being able to, to voice some of those concerns that we have with other people that, that we trust and have relationships with, but, but to be a safe space for where other people can, can voice their concerns too. And uh, just to be a, a listening ear that we, we don't have to provide all the solutions, but, but sometimes people just need someone to listen to them and to hear them. And, and I think uh, we're, too busy trying to make our voice known and not listening enough. And so I think, I think that would be really helpful. Ken, any final thoughts just on helping people, just loving people through the anxiety? I think you guys hit it on the head, Eric, you know, being mindful kind of how can Christ use me today? How can I be, you know, God's vessel? And and if that's reaching out to whoever you encounter in that day or reaching out to somebody that a family or friend, I think that that's, that's the best that you can do. And, you know, just being open to when your family and friends approach you and say you might need some help or approaching somebody else, you can always plant a seed. If they're not ready to talk, you you know, they may come back to you when, when, it, when it's time. And there's a lot of resources, you know, National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI is for family and friends of those struggling. You know, the CDC has guidelines out there if you want to look at them for, you know, helping, you know, navigate this for your children. And, and, and you know, resources throughout our communities. And so, you know, talk to your doctor, your pediatrician, and let them know that you're struggling. But I, I think you guys have the right message. And I'm, I'm just thankful to know you guys and know you guys are doing such a great mission. Well, thank you, Kenan. Thank you, Eric. And I'm going to end with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And may we be people who rest in Jesus and then follow his great command to love God and love others. Thanks. Have a great week, guys. Thanks again for being our guest, uh, Kenan. And yeah, guys, we love you and we're here for you. And if you need help, talk to us immediately. If you're listening to this and you're like, I am struggling and I need help, don't wait. Talk to us. Talk to a friend because we know that God has put people in your life to love you and to to walk you through anything that we go through. Have a great week. Thank you.